Thanks very much. Good evening. It's uh, great to be speaking to you this evening and with you all. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. As Andy said, I am also training to be a vicar. Um, and it's a joy to be speaking to you this evening, um, carrying on our series on hope, thinking especially this evening about how we can have present hope. It's a funny one, isn't it, hope? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word hope. We hope for all sorts of things, don't we? From the really small to the absolutely huge. Emil Brunner, the Swiss theologian, said, um, what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. The poet Alexander Pope famously penned, hope springs eternal. And Tertullian of Carthage is recorded as saying, um, hope is patience with the lamp lit. One of the things I've most recently been hoping for, which is obviously equally profound and deep as all of these, is about cider. A few weeks back, a couple of friends and I uh, noticed all of the apple trees around the college where I'm training to be a vicar and hatched this plot to try and create some cider. And so we spent a few weeks collecting all the apples that were dropping and storing them, eagerly anticipating the time when they had all dropped and then when we got them all and they were all there and the equipment was ready to go, we chopped and pressed and squeezed about 60 kilos of apples in our college bar until we had about 25 litres worth of juice ready for fermenting. It was about five or six hours to get them all pulped and juiced and all that jazz. And then this weird waiting game began where just for two weeks it just had to sit there in the hands of this tiny little packet of yeast. And I would wake up in the night thinking about this bucket of fermenting cider. Is it too warm? Is it too cold? Can it breathe? My wife is a scientist and has reliably informed me that that is an accurate term, that it doesn't breathe. But that's, that's what I was worrying about. Could it breathe? Does it have everything it needs? What if it's lonely? But most importantly, having gone to all this effort, collecting, cleaning, chopping, pressing, and then leaving it in the hands of this little thing of yeast, which is supposedly alive, but who knows. Um, would it actually taste good? In fact, I would probably have settled for it tasting average. You know, yeah, it's not the greatest. Yeah, it's a bit harsh, but I made it, so isn't it wonderful? But I sincerely and deeply hoped that it wouldn't be disgusting. I hoped it wouldn't be a complete waste of 25 litres of beautiful, natural apple juice. I hoped that after all the anticipation, the two weeks of waiting, that it would be worth it. You'll be pleased to know it was absolutely sensational. I mean, I genuinely considered cancelling this whole vicar training thing and becoming a full-time cider man. But that is not my point, unless you know of an opening, in which case we'll talk afterwards. But um, that is not my point this evening. My point is that hope is a powerful and deep emotion that permeates so much of life, from the small, insignificant things like cider, food, weather right through to the immensely profound relationships, dreams, purpose, faith. We hope for all kinds of things. And that's what we're going to dig into this evening. As Christians and followers of Jesus, where does our hope in the day-to-day -day of life come from? To unpack this a little this evening, we're going to be looking at a passage from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. 
And that's Romans 15, 4 to 13. So do grab your Bibles or your apps or whatever you use and follow along with me. And I think it will be up on the screens as well. Verse 4 starts. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards one another that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will find hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does this passage have to say to us tonight about where our hope in the present comes from? I think the first thing this passage is saying to us is that our hope comes through the word of God, the Bible. Verse 4 states, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragements they provide, we might have hope. Paul is talking about the Bible, the scriptures, the word, whatever you want to call it. And here he's specifically talking about the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, as the New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. He's saying that the Bible is written to teach and encourage that we, here today, might have hope, both in this life and in the next. The Bible points to the faithfulness and the character of God, and it's there that we can find hope. The biblical word used for hope is significantly different to optimism, because the kind of hope that's being spoken about in our passage is a hope that is based on someone. It's not a non-placed optimism, just blindly believing that things will get eventually better. It's a hope that is built on a person and their character, Jesus. When I came to faith as an unruly 17-year-old, my view of the Bible totally changed. Before I saw it as an old book, I thought it was old-fashioned and strange, certainly complicated and probably not that interesting. It contained weird stories about things like a man who was eaten by a fish and something else about a talking donkey. Um, And it seemed so strange and unconnected to me. But after I encountered Jesus, my view of it totally changed. Because it was no longer a bunch of random stories and history that was complicated and irrelevant. Every line, every page, every chapter, from the beginning to the end, pointed to the one person who had changed everything for me. It pointed to Jesus. And so where did I turn to know him more intimately, to be filled with his hope for my life um, and the broken world that I saw around me? The word of God. 
The Bible provides continual evidence of God's faithfulness, especially in light of Jesus' fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus' fulfillment of the scriptures, that's a very weird and churchy term, isn't it? So what do I mean by that? By this, I mean the parts of the Bible that were written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that either foretell his coming directly or show the character of God stepping in to rescue his people or deal with their needs, all pointing towards Jesus who came to earth, lived amongst it to save, to rescue and to bring about the restoration of everything that was broken in it. We even see multiple points in our passage today where Paul is talking about the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus. That's what's happening in verse 8 to 12 of our passage. Therefore, because we see this continual faithfulness of God, which is all brought to fruition in Jesus, we as readers are encouraged to place our hope once again in Jesus as we await his new creation and engage in his new creation. In the Bible, we see God show up time and time again. He steps in, he saves, he intervenes, he rescues, he forgives time and time again. And it therefore gives us hope that we will see him do it again. We can have hope that God is faithful and he keeps his promises. I have a friend whose um, life was totally ripped apart by addiction from a really young age. And she had had um, a family, but it had all become extremely messy um, due to her own rampant alcoholism before she came to faith and um, other members in the family who had problems with addiction and all the life complications that that brings. And we were chatting one day about her daughter who um, at that time wouldn't speak to her and she'd had a grandchild that she'd barely seen or really met. And we were talking about the immense pain of that situation, the pain of that family breakdown and the chaos in her life. And, you know, I was feeling absolutely heartbroken and overwhelmed just hearing about it. So I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to sit with that pain and that heartbreak day to day. And then she turned to me and she smiled and she said, it will all be okay, though. And I said, it it will? And she lifted her Bible off her lap and she said, he will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. It's a passage from Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets. And in it, she found this incredible hope in the day to day because it speaks of the faithfulness and the kindness of our God. The God who steps in to make all things new. It testifies that God is in the business of restoration. And she could find hope there, secure in his faithfulness for her life, in the nitty gritty of the day to day. Where can we find hope? We find hope in the word of God. So how do we do that? There are um, loads of ways that we can dwell in the hope that we find in the Bible. I personally, because I have poor concentration and a one-track mind, um, I like to take a book at a time and get, um, get to know it really well. It's themes, it's sections, it's overall message as well as the individual bits. Um, my wife Hannah loves the Lectio 365 app, which gives you a piece of the Bible each day and prompts you to pray around it and gives you stuff to mull over throughout the day. You could join a group here at St. Nick's, if you haven't already, um, that study the Bible together. 
The Bible in One Year app is also an amazing choice for, for getting that whole Bible in one year with explanations and points to pray about, um, which also comes audibly like me if you're not the quickest reader. There are loads of options and ways to engage with the Bible, and some work better for others than others for different people. We're all different, aren't we? But I'd encourage you to get stuck into something. Find a rhythm. Wrestle with the complicated bits, or the confusing bits, or the bits that don't seem to make sense. Wrestle with them, engage with them. And find hope there, in the character and the fulfilled promises of a faithful God. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The second thing I think this passage shows us this evening is that our present hope, our daily hope, can be found in the Spirit. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something super significant there in the title, God of Hope. It's a title that stands out in the kind of the way that it's written. And most commentators think that Paul is borrowing language from Isaiah, the Old Testament book, especially the part of Isaiah that Paul has just quoted from in the verse before, in verse 12. Isaiah is an incredible book, by the way. It's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Um, and if you don't know it very well, like get stuck in, there's life-giving stuff there. And so what is the significance of this title, God of Hope? Well, the passage of Isaiah that Paul is borrowing this language from, Isaiah 11, is a section which is about the coming king, Jesus. It's a passage that shows us that Jesus is not coming to save a few good people or a few people who want to like get involved with him and then bail out with them and like leave this world to all its mess. It's a passage that shows us instead that Jesus is coming as the king to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And to restore all that is broken and dark about this world and take everything back to how God intended it to be in the beginning. It shows us that peace and joy will reign as Jesus establishes his throne on earth. This is the hope we have for the kingdom. And the reason that the title God of Hope is such huge news is because it shows that God is a God who gives people hope in himself, in his very person, in Jesus. And that because of that, they can enjoy the blessings of that coming kingdom now, in the present, right here in the day-to-day. So how does that work? Well, our passage says, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul illustrates, as he does time and time again throughout um, everything that he writes in the New Testament, that it is the Spirit that enables believers to experience in this life the blessings of the life to come. In another of Paul's letters, the letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, he describes the Spirit as the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Or in 2 Corinthians, another letter, he, he says, God put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It is the Spirit of God who lives in our hearts through faith in Jesus that enables us to set our hope on what is to come, but also in what God is doing on earth now as he brings about his coming kingdom. 
It is through the Spirit, as Jesus' people, that we share in the inheritance of Christ, the renewed and reborn creation itself. That is a reason for immense hope. And it's the place to find daily hope for the world around us as we seek to join in with God bringing his kingdom here now. How can we have hope um, that our friends who don't know Jesus will come to find life and fulfillment in him? Through the power of the Spirit at work in the world and in you. How can we have hope that the broken situations that we see around the earth, from poverty and violence to greed and oppression, will eventually come to an end? Through the power of the Spirit at work in the world and in you. How can we have hope in the face of suffering? Through the power of the Spirit at work in the world and in you. How can we have hope going into a second lockdown? Through the power of the Spirit at work in the world and in you. Through the Spirit we can hope in and partake in Jesus making all things new. So what does that look like? I confess I spent way too many years only praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a Sunday. I don't know if I thought I needed to be in a church building or that I needed to have other Christians around me or I needed like some soft keys in the background or what. But I can tell you that it, it wasn't until I started to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit before having a coffee with a mate or before sending someone a text or whilst I was watching the news or before I was about to go into that meeting. It wasn't until I started praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit in all of those situations in the day-to-day that I started to see the hope of God's coming kingdom springing up all around. What might God show you he's doing this week or do through you if you are asking to be filled with his spirit, not just on a Sunday, which is obviously amazing, but as you go up through each part of your day, day to day? And my third and final point this evening, as I draw us to a close, is that this hope that we can find, this hope we find in the day-to-day through the word of the Bible and through the Spirit of God at work within us, this is a hope that breeds hope. Chapter 15, where our passage comes from, um, makes up part of two chapters in Paul's letter, chapters 14 and 15, where he's calling the church in Rome to unity. He's calling the church to abandon all divisions and be one. He's saying, you are the people in this world whose hope is in Christ Jesus. You are the ones whose hope is in him through his word and through his spirit. So drop all the rest, all the worldly divides and be unified. Verse 7 reads, accept one another then just as Christ Jesus accepted you. But here's the clincher. In order to bring praise to God. When the church is unified, God is glorified. When the church together fixes its eyes on hope in Christ through word and spirit, it praises God. And when the church praises God, the world cannot help but take notice. And a hurting world receives hope itself through the people of God. This hope breeds hope. I'm going to invite you to stand now and I'm going to pray for us um, and we're going to stay standing and respond to this incredible hope that we have in Jesus through worshipping him. Why don't we stand together? 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the hope of the world. We thank you that in you we can find hope for today, for tomorrow, until the end of time. We pray that as we enter another lockdown this Thursday, a time of turmoil, isolation and uncertainty for so many, that we would find hope in you each and every day through your living word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would come and be here now amongst us, filling us with your living hope. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious name.